This archival program of Design Matters with Debbie Millman was produced for Voice America Internet Radio. New programs with better audio quality are now being produced for Design Observer. You can subscribe in the iTunes Store or at the Observer Media Channel on Design Observer. Welcome to Design Matters with Debbie Millman, the show that takes you inside the provocative and stimulating world of design and branding as it intersects with contemporary culture. Here's your host of Design Matters, Debbie Millman. Whenever I tell people that I have never once consumed a bottle of beer in my entire life, I am met with shock and incredulity. It seems no one can fathom that I have never, ever pushed down a pint, slammed from a keg, or even chased a shot of tequila with Budweiser or a Corona or a Stellar Artois. But I haven't. I grew up in a household that was mostly voluntarily void of alcohol and spirits, unless you include Manischewitz, but I won't, and I simply never developed a taste for beer. In fact, I rather loathe it. I also have a particular disdain for the taste of beer on anyone else, which, as a teenager growing up in a suburb rife with football parties and kid nights, made for difficulties. My parents were more of the type that drank coffee. At least my mother was. Every morning, she would put up a big pot, and when it was brewed, she would pour herself a cup in her favorite Corningware mug. But it was the pot that she brewed her coffee in that captivated me. It, too, was of the Corningware brand. But this pot had three blue periwinkle flowers centered on the lower half of the front of the pot. And for some reason, I thought they were beautiful and magical and fascinating. Aside from a kitschy flower clock in the shape of a plate, it was my favorite thing in our kitchen. My mother drank her coffee black. Back then, she smoked cigarettes, and often her friends from the neighborhood would sit in our orange vinyl breakfast nook and talk. Or rather, they would gossip. They would chat about who had recently bought a new car or a fur coat or who was taking a vacation or a mistress or some new pill that had just come on the market. At eight years old, I was in awe of my mother's girlfriends. To me... They were magnificently glamorous with their brightly painted nails and tightly pulled faces and billowing wisps of smoke. And I would sit in the kitchen, off by myself, and pretend I wasn't listening when, in fact, I wasn't missing a word. One day, one of my mother's friends, Daphne, the brassy and most confident woman in the group, invited me to join them in the breakfast nook. I was surprised by this overture and suddenly shy. But the women all urged me over and made a place for me at the table. Then they did the unthinkable. They poured me a cup of coffee. My mother objected, but the ladies insisted and compromised by filling the mug to the tippy top with milk. I hesitated for a moment before I took a sip, and as my mouth approached the now lukewarm liquid, I inhaled the pungent aroma and fantasized I had a cigarette languidly hanging out of a fabulously manicured hand and a cute pair of cat glasses perched on my nose. The minute I tasted the coffee, I knew I was fooling myself. I knew even before I sipped it that I wouldn't like the bitter, acidy taste. I grimaced and swallowed, and the worst possible thing happened. The ladies all laughed. 
Oh, she doesn't like it, Daphne demurred. Give her some time, my mother retorted. Who likes coffee when they're eight years old? It took a long time for me to develop a taste for coffee. Back in college, my friend Linda's Spanish boyfriend, Jorge, was convinced that anyone that didn't drink espresso was uncivilized. And desperate to impress him, Linda and I joined him in a little cafe to become acquainted with this heady nectar. We both had teeny tiny cups perched in front of us. And at that moment, I was convinced that this was tangible evidence of our maturity. I was also optimistic and convinced that what looked like nothing more than two tablespoons of liquid couldn't possibly distress me too much. But alas, even after adding four packets of sugar, I was incapacitated. The two sips ended up looking like two liters, and it took me two hours to finish it off. I finally fell in love with coffee when I fell in love with Oscar. Oscar was British and beautiful and taught me two things, how to smoke and how to drink coffee. He liked his coffee light and sweet. Initially, I found it palatable, but then began to crave it and him more and more. My love affair with coffee and with love flourished in earnest. These days, I still put sugar in my coffee, but now I prefer it over ice. My mornings mostly start the same way, with an ice grande skim latte and an ultralight cigarette. And as I put on my black cat-like glasses, I wonder how much I've been shaped by my family and my friends and my partners and their tastes. I think our lives are made up of these bits and pieces of our shared experiences and the rituals and habits we seek and feed not only signal our affiliations, they also help define who we are both to ourselves and to each other. Today is the 25th broadcast of Design Matters in as many weeks. And just this week, a friend informed me that someone who I admire, a designer who I think is terribly glamorous and sophisticated and fabulous, recently told her that she downloaded some of my shows to her iPod in preparation for a trip to Paris. Upon listening to several episodes back-to-back, she discovered that I have a verbal tick. In other words, she realized that I have an over-dependence on the word lovely. Apparently, unbeknownst to me, I use the word a lot. Before I could register my humiliation and embarrassment, my lovely friend kindly made light of my communication ailment. She cleverly suggested that perhaps I should instill a show ritual, a game of sorts, wherein every time I say lovely, listeners would consume a drink. I'm not so sure about this, but for anyone who takes heed, my only request is this. Rather than a cold beer or a shot of vodka, I suggest that you partake in a very light, very large, and very sweet cup of coffee. Welcome to Design Matters with Debbie Millman. I'm your host, Debbie Millman, and my guest today is Stanley Hainsworth. Before we get started with today's interview, let me tell you a little bit more about him. Stanley Hainsworth is the Vice President Global Creative of the Starbucks Coffee Company. Stanley grew up in a small town in western Kentucky, right between Possum Trot and Monkey's Eyebrow, which taught him an appreciation for multiple retail options. After pursuing an acting career for some years, he decided that he would apply all he'd learned to a new trade where he would at least still be free to explore multiple facial hair options. Don't think we were not going to ask him about that today. After several years at Nike as a creative director, where he worked on everything from hang tags to annual reports to the Olympics, he decided to embark on an adventure in Denmark at the Lego Company as their global creative director. After a total visual overhaul of the Lego brand from top to bottom, 
including packaging, the web, retail, and brand stores, he heeded the call to return to the States where he thought it would be fun to work for a company named after the first mate in Moby Dick, Starbucks. And there he now resides in the upper left-hand corner of the U.S. as their vice president, Global Creative, learning more about the mighty coffee bean than he ever thought possible. Welcome, Stanley. Thanks. <laughs> it's so good to have you on the show. It's so good to be here. Well, so the first question I want to ask you is this. Who came up with the idea for the green straw? Green straw? <laughs> the green straw. You know, I don't know if I know the answer to that. I have to tell you, it was one of those moments that I'll never, ever forget. I was in the middle of working on the Burger King brand and was trying to come up with different ways to have the brand sort of telegraphically um, portrayed in in every every bit of the experience and went into Starbucks and the day, I think, that the green straws came back, I was like, oh, my God, the straws are green. We've got to get Burger King to do red straws, which, of course, they didn't do, but it was just a moment that I'll never, ever forget. I remember calling my partner in, like, complete and utter, in an utter frenzy saying, we have to do something with the straws. We have to do something with the straws. Yeah, the green straws are, are very iconic. And, in fact, there's a drink that's only over in Asia right now called Discoveries, and it's a it's a chilled um, uh, coffee drink that's sold in convenience stores. And it's in it when it when it debuted last year, it it sold out the first day, like in all the stores, it, it just blew out, and it started kind of a whole new um, aspect of that of the uh, packaged coffee industry over there. And but for the advertising over there, it was it was um, just a green straw. Yeah, uh, that was the only because uh, it's it's in a uh, like a paper uh, cup mm-hmm. and and it's chilled and it comes with a little green straw attached to it, the side of it. So so uh, the, you know the advertising was something along the lines of um, you know you can get it you can get Starbucks outside of Starbucks and they just showed a green straw. So. Yeah, no, I love it. I absolutely love it. So tell me, I want to talk a little bit about your history. Um, Tell me about your first memory of, of ever being creative. Ooh, um, I I think it was um, <laughs> uh, when I was um, I, I worked on in tobacco and tomato farms growing up, mm-hmm. and and I remember uh, working in um, on this tomato farm, and I was uh, working on the tractor. And I remember driving the tractor up and down, up and down the rows, spraying with um, water, um, watering those. And I, I remember just being bored up and down, up and down. So I, I started going into some creative patterns. <laughs> and uh, in the meantime, I did do some damage to some of the crops. <laughs> so it was just day after day of going up and down these rows. So, so I, I guess kind of breaking out of the, uh, you know, the, the straight up and down. And, and, uh, and I thought it was – I always loved um, – you know, the patterns that you can do in dirt and everything and kind of the crop circle type of thing. So I guess I was creating my own crop circles. And this was back in Kentucky? I was back in Kentucky. That was actually in Possum Trump. Oh, okay. And so how old were you when you were doing this? Uh, I think I was like uh, 12, 13. And at that point, did you know that your life would be fundamentally changed by this sort of creative impetus that you had? Well, I, I think, you know, part of it, I, I really, one thing I really remember about that is I would go. I would go fill up these big water. This big water tank you would put behind the tractor in the in this creek that ran alongside the farm. And and I remember just laying there. It take about an hour for it to fill up. I put the hose in the creek, and then I just lay there on the side of that on the bank of that creek. And I just you know it was a hot, humid day, and I'd be in the shade of the tree. And I remember that that's the point when I first started um, dreaming up stories. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's the first time I remember really um, creating something out of nothing. And I thought, and uh, and that was the, the the realization that, wow, you don't just have to live through other people or, or watch TV or watch movies. You can have, actually create stories. So I, at that time I started just daydreaming and then started writing those daydreams down. Oh, that's wonderful. Well, we have to take our first break, but when we come back I'd like to talk to you about uh, what you did um when you started acting, which is really quite fascinating to me. Um, But in the meantime, I'd like to let everybody know that they're listening to Design Matters with Debbie Millman on Voice America Business. I am your host, Debbie Millman, and my guest today is Stanley Hainsworth. We'll be right back with our broadcast after these messages, so please don't go away. Listen wherever you are. 24-hour business and financial news. Solid, focused, and informed. The leader in business talk. Voice America Business at voiceamerica.com. And now, Voices of Design, a documentary series brought to you by Adobe Systems. The Voices of Design series brings together different voices from the design community to share and exchange ideas on various topics. Today's show features a three-part discussion focused on the topic of sustainability. This is part one. Enjoy. What is sustainability, and what does it mean to the design community? Let's listen to what the designers at the Compost Modern 2006 conference have to say on this topic in Adobe's Voices of Design series. Here is Phil Hamlet, Chairman, AIGA Environmental Committee. The definition of sustainability that I like to use is quite simple. It's basically leave the place in better shape than you found it. Scott Summit. Summit ID. Sustainability is particularly elusive, especially in industrial design, and that's one of the main reasons I'm here is to try to get a handle on what it means and just how it applies to what I do every day and what I can impart to my clients. Mark Willard, IDO. The pressure is on, and whoever solves it in a more sustainable and desirable way is ahead of the game and, and is what whether people sort of consciously or subconsciously know it, it's, it's definitely what we need. You have been listening to the Voices of Design series brought to you by Adobe Systems. To grow a company, revenues need to grow. To grow revenues, the organization needs to grow. But what does it take to get and keep quality personnel needed to grow business? Tune into Real People Really Leading with Trish Lambert. Get the inside scoop on how to leverage your best assets to sustained business growth. Trish and her expert guests, from business owners to CEOs to solopreneurs, share the knowledge, experience, and business savvy they have used to lead their teams to continual and persistent business victory. Real People Really Leading broadcast every Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. Real people really leading because knowing is growing. Are you looking for a unique perspective on today's market from an experienced economist? Well, look no further. Listen to The Economic Contrarian with host Mike Norman every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time on Business America Radio. Mike and his guests will discuss new trends in the marketplace as well as emerging companies and opportunities. So if you want in-depth analysis from a contrarian point of view, don't miss The Economic Contrarian Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Pacific Time right here on BusinessAmericaRadio.com. Keeping you a step ahead of the changing world of business. This is Voice America Business.
We're back with Design Matters with Debbie Millman. If you have a question for Debbie, feel free to call us at 866-472-5790. Once again, here's the host of Design Matters, Debbie Millman. Welcome back. It is 12.16 Pacific Time, and you are listening to Design Matters with Debbie Millman live from San Francisco. I am your host, Debbie Millman, and my guest today is Stanley Hainsworth. If you'd like to join our conversation, if you have a question for Stanley, now is your opportunity to call. Our phone lines are open. Please call 1-866-472-5790. And Stanley, we actually have a caller on the line right away. Uh, we have Gregory. Thank you for calling Design Matters, Gregory. Hi, Debbie. Hi, Stanley. Hello. Uh, Debbie, I hate beer. I hate the taste of beer. I hate it on people's <laughs> breath. And we have that same coffee pot. Oh, yeah. Um, Stanley, I, I come from southwestern Virginia, so I come from places like Red Root Ridge, Chicken Ridge, so I understand that. Um, you know the that town, awesome, yeah. uh, trot and, and uh, thing, and monkey eyebrow. I totally understand <laughs> it. Um, my question is, how on earth did you get from being an actor to becoming a creative director, much less a creative director for people like Nike and Starbucks and Lego? Well, that's one of those stories where where someone ends up where they never thought they would and, and how they never started, not what they studied for even. And um, yeah, I I, uh, I thought I would always be an actor, and that's what I set out to do um, in my young life, and I did that for a number of years. I did that for um, almost 10 years, and um, and I, I guess I did, and I, I was successful enough to, you know, started out waiting tables, auditioning, L.A., and then New York, and and I and I did well enough to make a living at it. Um, not make a lot of money, but make a living at it. And uh, and things were uh, things were going really well. And I was also a, a musician and uh, playing some clubs um, in New York and other places. And so I thought that was my life. And I I um, I expected that it to stay like that. But then things happen in your life. And one of those things happened to me. And it was a it was actually a a, a personal thing in my in my family life. And we actually um, inherited a child when uh, her mother died in a car accident. Wow! And um, and she lived in Portland, and she's actually a, a is my wife's niece, is who it is. And so we had we took custody of her, and we thought we might have her for a few weeks, a few months. And um, she was five years old at the time, and we had since we adopted her, and we she's now 21 years old. So that uh-huh. was a a number of years ago, and at that point, we, when we went to Portland um, to help take care of her, that's when I started looking around there to just see what I might be able to do, and I and I started um, um, doing some work with Nike, some freelance work with Nike, and and in the end, they offered me a job. And at that point in my life, I um, I uh, I didn't know kind of what direction to go because of what was going on personally, but. But I thought, well, you know, I've never worked for a company before. I've always been, you know, out of work and in work actor. And, I, and <laughs> Nike certainly was a great company, and I was intrigued by being in their design group. And they actually hired me as a writer. And I had written some, you know, plays and stories and things. And I, I said, well, I don't have any writing experience, you know, copywriting type. And they go, oh, we like your background. You're eclectic. You're great. Come and work for us. And so, so I did. And... Um, that was basically in the days before they they received they got computers. Um, you know, the designers had computers, so everyone had their drafting tables and their markers and all that. And ah, the good old days. Good old mm-hmm. days. I think we the computer only computer that there was in the whole studio people used to uh, catalog their 
their uh, CD collections, I think. <laughs> um, uh, and uh, and then when the computer started coming, I just kind of learned it along with everyone else. And um, I, I was just curious about design. I, I, I went on press checks, I, and I, I just started learning. And and uh, so I never trained as a designer. I didn't go to you know design school or anything. I just I had on the job experience and. What a great place to do it in the um, late 80s, early 90s at, at Nike when it was just starting to ramp up and go through its big explosion and growth and discover what it was. And so I was able to go along for that ride and learn design along the way and um, and eventually became, you know, a uh, creative director there. And so Just eventually, you know, just, yeah. just <laughs> totally <laughs> serendipitously. Uh, it, it's just, well, what was great, it was an opportunity to, to really move around the company, too. It was like... Nike is like that. They um, uh, Tinker Hatfield there, one, someone who's been there for many years and designed all the Jordan shoes and many of the the seminal shoes for Nike. He, you know, he he likes hiring, uh, you know, people from non-traditional backgrounds, and he, he he hires good thinkers. That's what he likes to people that can be creative. And what your background is is secondary. Um, so that's helped me a lot as I interview people for jobs. You know, not to really look at where they went to school, but rather look at. You know, look at their portfolio, and, and, and I always ask them, let me see your sketchbooks. Let me see your thought process. And that's as important to me as, or more important than, of course, when you, where you went to school. Oh, well, that's, really, that's a great inspiration, Stanley. It really is. That's really impressive. Thank you very much. Yeah. Thank you for calling, Gregory. Thanks, Debbie. Thanks. Stanley, we have another caller on the okay. line. We have Mary from New York. Mary, thank you for calling Design Matters. Hi. My question is, I work in marketing, and I've worked for a number of different marketing firms, and we always use Starbucks as our model case study of what everybody would like to be like. I was wondering, what does Starbucks use when they're talking about ideal <laughs> brands that they like? Good question. Well, I, uh, you know, it's funny uh, being at uh, you know, three different of the larger brands now. Um, you, whenever you're at the brands, you know, they, they, you're at Nike, they go, they go, oh, but Starbucks, they're, they're doing it in the right way. You know, we need to look at Starbucks as a model. And then Starbucks, they're saying, oh, we need to look, look at Nike the way that they're working. <laughs> so, or Apple. And so it's like that way, you know, until you get behind the curtain, you know, kind of see the reality, which is uh, generally different than the perception, but always great, of course. Um, but every every brand struggles to get where they're going and figure out where they're going. And, but, you know, one, one that I've heard thrown around a lot here, a, a name is Whole Foods. Um, Whole Foods is, is a brand that a lot of people admire here, including me. And, um, you know, you walk in and it's just the presentation is just unbelievable. You know, the the way that, you know, they, they don't just display oranges. It's the way they display them, the way that their fruit areas. And um, it's, it's the, you know, it's that thoughtful display and the quantities and the repetition of things. So I think that's, that's one brand that, um, that, we, that we talk about, a brand that we admire and, and what they stand for as well. Thank you. Thank you for calling. Good um, Stanley, you know what's really interesting about Whole Foods? I mean, I think that they're a company that seems to be um, very concerned with quality, very, very concerned with sustainability. And one of the things that I find so fascinating about this, and I, I read this fairly recently, um, when you look at some of the big mass retailers, um, a company like Walmart, for example, um, I read recently that the amount of money that they make per square foot in their stores is about $400 a square foot, mm. um, which is considered quite a lot. Mm. Um, that's more than Target. That's obviously more than Kmart. But when you go to Whole Foods now, their 
profit, or I'm sorry, their um, the amount of money that they're making per square foot is nearly eight hundred dollars. Wow. So not only do they serve better qualities, but much better. I mean, I think that basically what they're doing is making shopping cool again. Yeah. But they're also making a hell of a lot of money. Yeah, and that's what's great about Whole Foods is that somehow you can go in and. And you have a little basket of items, and you know it's 120 bucks you just spent. Oh yeah. You don't oh, feel yeah. bad about it because yeah. the experience was so great. Yeah, I think it comes out to when I shop there, it's about 100 dollars a bag. <laughs> so, um, the phone lines are ringing. Also, we have another caller, Stanley. We have Stacy from New York. Thank you for calling Design Matters. Hi, Stanley. Hi, Stacy. Hi, Debbie. How are you today? I'm good. How are you? Um, this is going to sound strange, but I go to Starbucks all the time, but I hate coffee. I just go. <laughs> Make an excuse to get out of the office and usually end up with a slice of uh, marble loaf cake. But I'm just wondering, as a brand, since it is so much about the experience and the escape, have you ever thought of going, you know, the Virgin Richard Branson route and just branching out to other categories and putting your experience into things that aren't uh, coffee? Well, we're we're doing that. Um, that's interesting about your not drinking coffee and going to Starbucks, and that, that's not unusual. It's it's such a um, you know one thing that's interesting is. Uh, I, when you're when you uh, are hired here, you have the opportunity to work in the store for like a week. And I'm doing I've been here about 19 months, I think now, and I'm doing that again in about a month. And when you're there, you you kind of see the cycle that that goes through the store. You in the morning you see the the uh, you know the rush hour to you know get their coffee and the, on their way to work, and then and then um, after that the the mothers come in with the preschoolers and they just hang out and they talk for a few hours, and then. And then um, you have noon and the kind of the noon hour rush. And then right after noon, the, there was the um, the older folks that were in the neighborhood, and they'd they'd come in, they get something to drink, and then fall asleep in the comfy chairs. And then there was the uh, and then after school, you know, there was the the the, the children that well the teenagers that would come and uh, wait for their or the preteens that wait for their parents to get home from school, and they'd come in and do their homework and get something to eat and drink, you know, non coffee items. And then. And then at night, you know, you have the, uh, the people come home on the way from work, and then and then at nighttime would be kind of a social hour with you know all ages coming in. So they really do become these community centers, and um, and so it's it's coffee is at the core of of what Starbucks is about. But that's what makes the company unique is that that Starbucks experience, that experience that you have in the in that coffee shop. And so so we are looking at ways to expand the coffee shop experience and. I think some of the ways that we're doing it in our stores is we have music. Now we have music in our stores, and we have a, we sell music in our stores. But we you know, we select music that we know you're going to like, and uh, kind of the curatorial voice of Starbucks. And then we have movies. You know, that's something that we um, we did our first movie um, about a month ago, Aquila and the Bee, and and um, and we uh, we promoted that in our store. But we did it in a very uh, I think a uniquely Starbucks way, and that's. And we're doing this uh, salon program, Starbucks Salon, and that's we did our first one at um, at Sundance at the film festival. And it's a place for you to come and um, hear up and coming artists and musicians. And and we're going to be doing one in New York in the fall. Um, and so it's like expanding the the Starbucks experience or that coffee house experience out of the store, expanding that experience in the store. Um, you know, has that answered your question? Yeah, it sounds like you have a very artistic focus, so it's still based on. You know, visual stimul- stimulation, and it sounds it sounds almost like a patron of the arts rather than just throwing your name out into you know anything that would carry it. So I think it sounds great. It, it does sound like Starbucks has become you know the new bookstore because Borders used to be that place where yeah. you can go any time of day for certain reasons and you know not not feel alone and not feel like a misfit. So 
It's a it's a it's a human connection, and that's really important to our brand is that that human connection. And it, what's interesting is people have such a connection to their barista. You know, they mm, the barista yeah. that knows their drink, knows their name. They come in the store and they and they, and they know them. But it's also a place where you can come and connect with your friends, connect with yourself, and you can just, you can be in there and just kind of get away from your noisy apartment with your three roommates. Uh, or you can you show up for a book reading or a, you know or, or a knitting club or whatever it is. So that's that, that a place for a human connection. It's kind of our our I think in the U.S. at least here it's become a place um, that's similar to the pubs you know in yeah, yeah. in England. You know, a place for for people of all ages to come and gather. It's a place where in New York you sit down and you're. It's a place where you might actually strike up a conversation with a with a stranger because you're sitting on the same couch with them or across the table with them. And Stanley, did you ever work as a barista? I, I just did in that, you know, that immersion into the company after I was first hired for a week, and that's that's when I've done it. But how, how was your coffee? Do you do a good job making the, uh, the espressos and There's a lot of learning there, and so I was eager to go off and uh, I'll restock for you. You know, you, <laughs> <laughs> or I'll do the, uh, the some of the, uh, the frappuccinos were a lot easier because there's lines on the cup. You fill it up to here, then you add this and that. Um, but but it, it, you, it made me realize what an art it is to to create these drinks. Oh, absolutely! I don't even like to go to the stores that just serve Starbucks coffee, but don't make them in a Starbucks. They're not anywhere near as good. Yeah, you know, you know. There's one thing that was really interesting when I was working in the store. There were the I, I went in the back room and they had this yellow sheets. Um, there it was, you know, about ten sheets, and and it was on a, a clipboard, and it said the 100 Club. And I looked at it and, and I said, "What's this?" And they go. Well, we've challenged ourselves. All the baristas in the store have challenged themselves to memorize 100 customers' names and their drinks. Oh, wow. It, it was the cutest little chart. It had, like, um, Pam, a cute little pink purse, um, <laughs> and then it had her drink name. And uh, and so it did, uh, you know, little reminders of what they look like and all that. And and uh, and I said, how many have, have uh, joined the club? And I said, everyone. I go, wow, that's incredible. And I went back to that same store a little while ago, and I looked for that list, and it wasn't there, and I went, and I said, where's your 100 club? And they go, oh, it's over there on the wall now. It's the 200 club. Wow. So that's interesting because it is amazing. Even those that, um, you know, that they might not feel a, you know, a strong affinity for the brand itself, they, they do for, for, for their store. It's, you know, it's my Starbucks. You know, it's, it's my, because that barista knows me. They know my name. And, and that's the, I think that's the differentiator of this brand and, and perhaps other, you know, competitors or even other brands is that, it's that barista to customer connection. Right. Well, when we come back, Stanley, I want to talk to you a little bit about some of your experiences at Nike and Lego. Um, but in the meantime, I want to let everybody know that they're listening to Design Matters with Debbie Millman on Voice America Business. I am your host, Debbie Millman, and my guest today is Stanley Hainsworth. We'll be right back with our broadcast after these messages, so please don't go away. Fresh, dynamic, and totally prepared for continuing business education. Business Talk Radio. Voice America Business at voiceamerica.com. And now, part two of Adobe's Voices of Design series, a documentary that brings together different voices from the design community to share and exchange. Today's topic is sustainability. Enjoy. The Challenge of Sustainable Design. Let's listen to what the designers at the Compost Modern 2006 conference have to say on this topic in Adobe's Voices of Design series. Here is Sonora Bean. 
Digital Hive Ecological Design. Sustainability isn't just a great idea, but it's a design challenge. And so as designers, how can we use our skills and our thinking and our strategy to promote social change? Ron Radziner, Marmel Radziner Architects. I think that architecture as a profession that we've become too removed from the actual act of making and we've become kind of just aesthetic consultants and I think that our office is this attempt to bring that all back together which is really how buildings used to be designed and built and take responsibility for what we design. You have been listening to the Voices of Design series brought to you by Adobe Systems. Dad, can I ask you something? Sure. There's this girl I kind of like. Say no more. You just have to impress her. Okay, but how? Just, I don't know, pick up a lot of heavy things around her. Like what? You know, desks, chairs, people. Grunt if you have to. Grunt? Yeah, be like, oh! Uh, There you go. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. When you adopt a child from foster care, just being there makes all the difference. To learn more, call 1-888-200-4005. A public service announcement brought to you by Adopt U.S. Kids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. You hear business show after business show all geared towards improving a company's bottom line. But what about your bottom line? How come no one ever talks about that? Finally, a show dedicated to the worker, The Crow Show with Paul McLaughlin, The Work Wonk. Heard every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, The Crow Show is aimed specifically at the worker and their environment. From work skills and technology to dealing with bosses and coworkers, The Crow Show will give you insight on how to survive and prosper in today's workplace. The Crow Show with Paul McLaughlin, The Work Wonk. Heard every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on the bottom line of business talk, businessamericaradio.com. Keeping you a step ahead of the changing world of business. This is Voice America Business. We're back with Design Matters with Debbie Millman. If you have a question for Debbie, feel free to call us at 866-472-5790. Once again, here's the host of Design Matters, Debbie Millman. Hi, from San Francisco. You are listening to Design Matters with Debbie Millman, the only talk radio show on the Internet, focusing on issues relating to graphic design, branding, and culture. I am Debbie Millman, your host, and my guest today is the very lovely Stanley Hainsworth. Why, thank you. <laughs> so, Stanley, during the break, we were talking a little bit about music. I know I, I said that I wanted to talk about Nike and Lego, and I still do, and I hope we get a chance to. But I want to talk to you a little bit about music. Um, two artists that Starbucks um, has have introduced has introduced me to um, are Antigone Rising and Sonia Kitchell. I also understand that music retailers were really upset with, with you and with Alanis Morissette when she gave you the six-week exclusive with the Jack Little Edge, uh, Jack Little Pill, ten-year uh, anniversary edition. Mm-hmm. Um, so, what is the future for Starbucks with music? Um, you know, this started out as uh, it's really interesting. There was a actually a partner in one of the stores in Seattle, and he he used to um, just play music that he liked over the you know over the store sound system, and it was uh, jazz music. and And the customers used to come in and they would say, "Wow, that's." You know that's great music. You all should sell that, mm-hmm. and and that's kind of where it started. Um, Starbucks started creating these compilations um, of music, and um, uh, and customers responded, and and eventually um, uh, it got to the point where um, now we sell music in all of our stores, and we also have we have um, we uh, there's a Hear Music is the uh, the company that actually uh, that we bought. We purchased it about six years ago now, I think. 
and there hear music coffee houses and there's um two in california one in san antonio one in miami and one opening here in washington here in the fall so so in our store um it's like i mentioned earlier i think the curatorial um, right. voice of, of 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 music so we 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 know that our our kind of our core customer they're they're the you know they're passionate about music and they used to buy a lot of music you know when they're teenagers and young adults and but now life is so busy and you go into a tower or a virgin and you go where do i start you know in the ends i don't know right i don't recognize any of these names anymore and so so what we've done is um brought a music in that we know that you will like you know it's almost like you know the the staff picks right but you also i mean with antigone rising and with sonia kitchell it's a Starbucks label, isn't it? That's right. Your yeah. music is a is a is a label of Starbucks. It's it's the voice of music at Starbucks. And how are you how are you going about finding the artists? Yeah, we have uh you know we just have we have a group of um you know A and R types uh, you know that they you know they'll you know they'll listen to what's out there in the industry and they'll discover new talent and so um, Sony Kitchell is a great example of that and Antigone Rising we have this uh, debut series where we you know we'll debut um, artists that, that, that we think are great, you know, new artists in that series. And Sonia Kitchell at the time, 16 years old, just this amazing uh, talent from Northampton, uh, Massachusetts. And um, and Antigone Rising, great story. You know, we, we put her on, we put them, you know, it's, it's a, a, tour, a band that's been touring for years. Um, you know, they've been working working the, the beat for years in their van. And, and then, uh, we're, you know, we, you know we're, we were very impressed with her talent. Um, and release a CD. They were on the Billboard 100 charts. The next few days afterwards, they were on David Letterman. Opened for the Stones. So it just gave a you know the chance for these uh, some of these bands that or these artists that, that wouldn't wouldn't get the chance. Oh yeah, I mean I think that Cassidy is like a young Janis Joplin in the making. Yeah, I mean she's amazing. Yeah. Um, Stanley, we have um, I have two listeners in the studio with me, um, Nate Voss and Donovan Beery from the design blog, Be a Design Group, and um, Nate actually has a question for you. So, Nate, thanks for for calling in. Hi, Debbie. How you doing, uh, Stanley? I was wondering. Um, usually, when I go to uh, to Starbucks, I, I usually just walk around for a minute or two and just sort of breathe into the design work before I start even thinking about ordering anything. Um, and the consistency of the design of the brand, the uh, visual language, if you will, is, is really well managed. I was wondering how you go about fostering uh, creative exploration and new ideas when you're working under, I don't want to say stringent guidelines because everything is usually very expressive there, but um, when you're working. Uh, yeah, I, I, uh, yeah. I think that was interesting. Um, when I first came to the company, uh, a lot of great work, um, great history, and I I remember presenting a few things and and people would say well you know that doesn't feel like Starbucks and it's like okay well you know what what does feel like Starbucks and it, it was this tribal knowledge this tribal sense of what Starbucks was and that gets you to a certain point but when you start working with outside agencies and and um, and growing you need to have something that's a little uh, you know better guideline for for the design group um, that we have and for agencies that we work with to interpret the brand and so. So um, came up, uh, developed this brand book, and it's been extremely useful. And it's basically put everyone kind of on the same course. And 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 at the heart of the brand book, there there are five points. And there's five points of handcrafted, artistic, sophisticated, human, and enduring. And those five points is basically 
have got us all on the same visual page and we're able to um, calibrate our work and we're able to work against these guidelines. And what's interesting, they sound very generic and uh, a lot of other companies, of course, consider themselves, you know, maybe sophisticated or artistic, et cetera, but it's the combination, it's the, those five together that really make the difference. So just an example is, you know, like a cartoon. A cartoon can be very um, artistic and uh, handcrafted and perhaps even enduring, but it might not be sophisticated. And the same with something that looks very computer-generated, slick design. Um, that could be um, artistic and sophisticated and enduring, but it not, might not feel handcrafted. So it's all of those five together and, and, and basically using those every time. And we have this thing where nothing goes out without being touched, you know, without a human touch. And, you know, it's a, you know, just a simple illustration of that. It's, it's just like if you take a photo and it has a person in it, let's say, just cutting that person out with an exacto blade and sticking them back in you know all of a sudden you've you know you've, you've done something to it and you have now a little you know a little offset of the image and you know we're we're pretty fanatical about it even um and a lot of it's not even seen it's even when we do like handwriting like so we have some communication in the store on one of our promotions and we'll you know we could there's a lot of hand handwriting fonts out there but we actually handwrite it. We, you know, we, we have a lot of people around our, we've, we've looked at handwriting, a lot of people in our building here, and we, we draw on them. And for us, that's important, and the customer might, might not even notice that, but for us, it's that, you know, it's that personal touch and that handcrafted touch that we've applied. So I guess that's the answer to your question is, uh, um, in our store, um, and out of store, we, you know, we're in grocery, we're in licensed stores, and a lot of other places, and, it's that consistency of those things, and it's that calibration of those things. We get together and we have these um, brand community meetings, we call them, and we get all the work that we've done, that our agencies have done, that everyone has done, and we put them all up on the walls, and we look at it, and we and we rate it, and we and we examine why it's doing well or why it's not doing well, and, and we rate it against these five points, and and, and our and also our our uh, our brand differentiators of you know coffee expertise and passion to improve the world and passionate partners, etc. So, so we're able to speak the same language, and I think that's made a big difference. That's wonderful. That's, thank you very much. Yeah, well, thanks for the question. Thanks, Nate. So of those five words, Stanley, is there one that you would consider to be a lead gene, or are they all equally important in the same way? Well, I think, uh, you know, probably handcrafted, you know, is one that design-wise it's a little easier to get your head around. But, but human, I think, is the most important one mm -hmm. out of all those because human extends to copy, you know, extends to the way it looks, the way, and most importantly, the way it connects. And I think that's one of the the keys to um, successful brands today. What's that emotional connection between a, a customer, a consumer, and the brand? It's fostering that emotional connection, and and we've seen that brands that are successful at doing that are the ones that 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 are have that longevity. Yes, absolutely. Well, we have to take our last break, um, but we will be back. I'd like to let everybody know that they are listening to Design Matters with Debbie Millman on Voice America Business. I am your host, Debbie Millman, and my guest today is Stanley Hainsworth. We'll be right back with our broadcast after these messages, so please go away. Fresh, dynamic, and totally prepared for continuing business education. Business Talk Radio, Voice America Business at voiceamerica.com. And now, part two of Adobe's Voices of Design series, a documentary that brings together different voices from the design community to share and exchange. Today's topic is sustainability. Enjoy. 
the power of designers and their influence on sustainability. Let's listen to what the designers at the Compost Modern 2006 conference have to say on this topic in Adobe's Voices of Design series. Here's Michael Schwab, Schwab Design. Design does influence people, and whether it's subconsciously or, or obviously, design does mean a lot, and, and, and it leaves a lasting impression. Paul Sappho, Institute for the Future. Designers are thought leaders, and they're action leaders. Designers have got to get this right, and they've got to define it right, because if they get it wrong, all their wrong ideas are going to be embedded in everything everybody else uses. Mark Willard. IDO. Designers have been shaping culture for as long as there's been design. We have a huge opportunity, and I think before long it's going to be an obligation or a mandate to figure out how to solve these projects, these issues, these desires with sustainably relevant solutions. You have been listening to the Voices of Design series brought to you by Adobe Systems. The challenge of change comes as ramped up due to the advent of information age and the interconnectedness of global community. In a high-tech world, the ability to embrace change, adapt, and respond accordingly is key to personal and professional success. Talking Change with Ann Powers, airing every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Pacific, explores the hows, whys, and what to do when faced with change. Embrace the new reality, adopt transition into your personal power portfolio, and tune into Talking Change with Ann Powers every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Pacific time right here on the bottom line of business talk voice america business learn to thrive not just survive in business and careers unleash your full potential and greatness with the thrive factor unleashing your potential with tactical coaches and success masters hosts dory willer and eva gregory dory eva and their masters of thriving expert guests inform educate elucidate and inspire with leading edge information the thrive factor unleashing your potential with dory willer and eva gregory broadcast each thursday at 9 a.m pacific noon eastern on the voice america business channel the thrive Factor, success and inspiration at the click of a mouse. The bottom line in business talk, Voice America Business. We're back with Design Matters with Debbie Millman. If you have a question for Debbie, feel free to call us at 866-472-5790. Once again, here's the host of Design Matters, Debbie Millman. Welcome back. It is 12.47 Pacific Time, and you are listening to Design Matters with Debbie Millman, live from San Francisco. I am your host, Debbie Millman, and my guest today is Stanley Hainsworth. Stanley, um, during the break, we were actually talking about um, some of your experiences at Nike, and um, just want to talk to you a little bit about that. Um, you talked about how you got there, um, and, and the, I think, 12 or 13 years that you spent there. Um, did you... Um, what was your feeling about the mythology behind the, the Nike logo um, when you got there and, and Carolyn Davidson's work? I mean, that's true. You know, that's a true story. You know, Carolyn Davidson was paid, you know, $35 or something like that yeah. to create the logo, and it was done, like, you know, the night before the box, first boxes need to be printed. Yep. Um, so I think that's, that's I, it's such a great story that I remember all the time, you know, since I've left there because, you know, work. Um, working on other brands and sub brands within these other companies that I've been a part of, um, you know we've you know we've purchased a brand let's say that that um, started off and maybe it's not well known but you know the founders you know they it's important to them that it retains some of that sense of of you know the beginnings and the origin of that brand and I think that's what's great about companies like Nike and Starbucks and Lego all all three of those you know it, they started from a really pure place there was no like 
corporate giant, you know, trying to come up with an idea that they could market something to a certain, you know, segment of the, of the population. It was just, you know, it was a, a running coach at Nike and, and his runner, one of his runners who just trying to make, you know, better running shoes and uh, saying a Lego, just trying to create a, a, a fun toy for kids that's easily, easy to put together. And, and Starbucks just, you couldn't get a good cup of coffee in this country. So it's just, you know, they're great, you know, great beginnings for these companies. Right, absolutely. Well, I was reading um, a bit about Carolyn Davidson's um, experience uh, doing the logo on the Design Blog Design Observer, and Michael Beirut wrote a, a really wonderful um, synopsis, and this is some of what was written. After sifting through the stack of drawings, Knight and the other men in the room kept coming back, albeit with something less than enthusiasm, to the design that looked like a check mark. It doesn't do anything, Johnson complained. It's just a decoration. Adidas' stripes support the arch. Puma's stripes support the ball of the foot. Tiger's does both. This doesn't do either. Oh, come on, Woodle said. We've got to pick something. The three stripes are taken. That was the trouble, thought Davidson. They were all in love with the three stripes. They didn't want a new logo. They wanted an old logo, the one that belonged to Adidas. Davidson liked them but found it disheartening to go out on her very first real job and get this kind of reception. And we all know the ending to the story is. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I think that's a great example of, you know, you could say that, that you know, the, the swoosh, um, you know, it's about, you know, forward movement and speed because of, you know, the way it's shaped and all that. But in the end, it's what you attach to that right. symbol of that icon and, and what you build around that. And, you know, it could have been, you know, any shape, and, and it would have become iconic because of, you know, what the brand stands for. Now, um, after Nike, you went to Lego. And so how did you like living in Denmark? It was an incredible experience, you know, first of all, for me and my family being able to, you know, they take vacations like, you know, every other week there. It seems like right. and take the one month of the summer off and so able to see a lot of Europe in the time over there. But it was so great to be in an environment where, you know, you're the minority as, a, as an American. And so just to get that perspective and the whole thing about with Bush and everything else, um, you know, going on and, and, you know, be working with Danes and, Swedes and Norwegians and Italians and Germans and and uh, get that global perspective on on life and also on design. It was just just an incredible experience to to be a part of that. Now, what was the fundamental difference? Did you find that there were big differences between branding in Denmark and at Lego and the work that you were doing in the United States. Um, uh, I think. You know, I think everyone. You know, as far as branding goes, I, I find that's kind of a global thing. You know, as far as people's thoughts on branding, how to get there, you know, is another matter. Mm -hmm. And um, I think the fundamental difference between um, Nike and Lego was Lego was all about nurturing the child within, and um, it was all about letting the experience come from, you know, the, the customer, you know, that the child. And Nike was more about, although it was about authentic athletic performance, but there was a lot more um, leading the customer, um, you know, giving them what they didn't know what they wanted yet, and and that's image-wise as well. Just coming up with unexpected things and and like, oh man, that looks so cool. I want to be a part of whatever that is, mm. and then you attach a product to that. So it's almost like a Nike. You can almost sometimes create a campaign and then attach a product to it afterwards because the campaigns were just so amazing. Um, and uh, you know, Lego was more the other way around. So what do you think of that, coming up with a campaign first and then attaching a product to it? Well, I think that's, you know, I think that's 
that's way, the way things are going right now. I think it's really interesting to see what's going on out there in the world. And you, you always have to have great products to back that up. But if you can come up with a compelling story, a compelling image, and we've seen that, I, I mean, uh, uh, you look at, um, uh, you know, a lot of brands that have started off on the Internet, you know, that, um, and they've become just um, uh, hot places to go seek out, and products have come from that. So, um, uh, you know, you, you look at Bathing Ape, you know, you know mm-hmm. something like that, the, the story of Bathing Ape and the way that that started with just a few T-shirts and what it's become now. And so, you know, it was all about the image of that and, you know, the exclusivity of that and the stories that were created around that. So, oh, yeah, and movable type with uh, now six apart. I mean, it's extraordinary what's happening. Yeah. Um, now, in, in many of the years, you've had many years of working with some of the most successful companies in the world, and I imagine that you've worked with a lot of the best design firms. What would you say are the top three things that designers need to know about branding that they might not know about? I, you know, I think, it's the, as I said before, I think it's knowing how to create an emotional connection between the customer and the brand, and everything that you need, you do needs to tie back to that. And um, and another thing I, I think that I've learned is there's no such thing as as decoration. And that's, you know, that's kind of a, a crass way to put it, but um, you know, like here here at here at Starbucks, everything that we do needs to communicate something. It, nothing is just decoration. So every element, you know, every graphic element, every word needs to be, you know, supporting what the brand stands for and, and supporting that emotional connection to the brand. Um, and number three, it's all about facial hair. You know, what, <laughs> what the, 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 I had this, uh, someone gave me this facial hair chart some years ago and, uh, it had like the, uh, the chin curtain and it's like kind of the Amish kind of look. And then the hula he is when you grew your sideburns out all the way. And so over the years I've been checking off all those facial hairs and uh, how many are you up to? I I, th- I, I think I, I think I've done them all. I, really? And how many are there in total? Uh, there was like um, fifteen on that, and I've done some. You know, I've done variations on them and kind of done spin-offs from them over the years. So, um, as, as my hair leaves on top of my head, I just concentrate more and more on my facial hair. <laughs> and that is a criteria in your choosing employers. That, that's it. I, I thought, well, what a great, well, this is great. I, that's what, when I started working at Nike, it's like, wow, you can, like, wear anything you want to work at. It doesn't matter how, because at the time I let my hair grow, like, down to my waist. Mm. Like, it was just the freedom. It's like, I can look like whatever I want and still work here. And um, So, yeah, that's I, I think cool. the design world is a great place because, you have a lot of freedom, not only of expression, you know, in the design work you do, but just the way you look. Yeah. So a couple of questions that I want to ask you before the show closes. What is your favorite Starbucks drink? I am actually, my favorite is a tall soy chai latte. Toy, tall soy chai latte. That's yeah. kind of hard to say, actually. Well, I don't know. You should, it's amazing when you work in a store. You know, people come in with like 15 modifiers. And it's like unbelievable some of the the modifications that someone uh, dreams up and and it is you know you look at our you look at the menu board and I don't have the number in front of me so I, I can't I think it's like out of that menu you know you can create eight hundred and something options or oh really I thought it was more I, I thought it was like eight thousand I think it is eight thousand and something options because that's that's the whole it's the customization and that's that's the uniqueness of you know Starbucks has managed to pull that off it's like 
you can come in the store and order whatever you want. Well, it's amazing. You have 8,000 options, but chances are when people go there, they have the same drink day after day. And yeah. always tastes the same way, which is great. And, that, and that's <laughs> one of the challenges as we move into other countries. You know, it's not just the menu. For instance, in Japan, as we go into Japan, it's a, a lot of stores there, and they're very used to just very menu-driven. So we're, we're having to do a lot of work on You can customize your beverage. You can... You know, you you can do whatever you want in there, and so that's that's kind of a a tough thing for them to their heads to get around. And so that's one of our communication challenges. Well, Stanley, thank you so much. We've unfortunately we've come to the end of our broadcast. No, no, I know, I know. I wish I could talk to you like another couple of hours. I know. There's so much more to talk about. I'll have to have you back on next season, and we can have part two with Stanley Hainsworth. Okay. Good pleasure. Thank you. Well, I'd like to thank you so much for joining me today, and I'd also like to give a special thanks to our sponsors, Adobe and Nina Paper. I'd also like to thank Ruben Colomb and Brian Travis at Voice America and my fabulous partners and friends in our San Francisco office at Sterling. Now, next week, we will be off for the holiday. Join me on July 7th for our third season finale with my very special guest, John Maida. Thank you for listening, and remember, we can talk about making a difference, we can make a difference, or we can do both. I am Debbie Millman, and I look forward to talking with you in two weeks. Voice America Business would like to thank you for tuning in for Design Matters with Debbie Millman. Be sure to listen every Friday at 12 Pacific Standard Time for another exciting hour of Design Matters. Right here on the bottom line in business talk, Voice America Business.